Yo, 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 it's your girl and boy CT. I'm Cindy Barnes. And I'm Travis Barnes. And we are the founders of the Overcomers Podcast. The Overcomers Podcast is designed to help you overcome adversity and live your dreams. Every week, we will be sharing stories of people who found their strength in their struggle. The Overcomers Podcast is sponsored by Journey 333. And that's a lot of threes, so let me tell you what it is. It's fitness, coaching, and nutrition. It is a place where we help you to look better, live better, and feel better, and it is mind, body, spirit. Today, we're going to help you get your mind right with our special guest. Hello, Overcomer Nation. Today, I have with me a former Marine captain, combat veteran. His military accomplishments include a wide range of experiences from managing an intelligence unit in Afghanistan to leading a scout sniper platoon overseas. He has completed some of the most challenging military training schools in the world, including the legendary Marine Corps Infantry Officer Course. Since leaving the military, Jason has acquired two graduate degrees with honors, worked as a business consultant and college professor, and dedicated his life to assisting his fellow veterans in training the next generation of warriors. In fact, that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about reawakening the warrior spirit. Jason Downing just launched a book at the beginning of September, as you listen to this podcast, just a few weeks ago. And today we're going to talk about that book and the inspiration behind the book. Jason, welcome to the show. Hey, Travis. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Thank you so much. It's such an honor. First of all, uh, thank you for your service. Oh, thank you. I, I'm I'm curious about the your backstory, you know, before we dive into the book. Um, yeah. Yeah. You were the oldest of three boys in your family. So, uh, how did how did your upbringing uh, impact who you are today, and you know, just have an impact on maybe even the book? Yeah. So, I mean, I was the oldest of three boys. It was quite a rambunctious household, as you can probably imagine. Growing up, um, we also moved around. Probably, I, I think I counted it one time. It was like eight or nine times we moved uh, before I was in my early teens. And for, you know, we kind of struggled off and on with income and, and, uh, you know, having enough, uh, money coming in for rent. So for part of the, for part of that time, we even, uh, lived for a year in a, in an RV, in an RV park. And, uh, you, as you can imagine, you know, with, uh, with three boys that can get pretty tight, uh, pretty quickly. Um, so what, you know, looking back on it now, I look back on it with fond memories. Um, I think that I learned a couple of lessons there. You know, as the oldest, you're, you're always kind of the one that's looking out for uh, your younger siblings, you, in my case, my two younger brothers. Um, so you, there's a certain amount of responsibility that comes along with that. And like you, even a, a sense of leadership was certainly transitioned very easily into the military. And that just that mindset, that camaraderie mindset trans, transfers over. Um, but then I also learned that, you know, no matter what situation you're in, how, how good it is or how seemingly bad it is, that if you focus on the important things in your life and if you focus on family, if you focus on maintaining love and connection in the household, it doesn't really matter where you're living, uh, whether it looks good or whether it looks bad, you know, you can make, um, a, a heaven out of hell, or you can make a hell out of heaven, depending on. Uh, on your mindsets and whether or not there's love there. So th those are just a couple of lessons that I took with me, uh, you know, through my life and, and they still impact who I am today. That's a really great way to look at it. You can make a heaven out of hell or a hell out of heaven. That's really good. You know, living in an RV, in an RV park with two brothers. Now, 
This uh, this podcast is sponsored by Journey 333. We have a Journey bus. It's really like a an RV that's been wrapped in all of our Journey logo and you know branding and whatnot. Nice. Now I'm picturing your mother and your two brothers in that RV right now, and uh, I guess love grows best in little houses. Is the uh, the song goes. I mean that that's the small quarters living right there. Yes, yes, it was. You know, we uh, definitely bumped into each other a whole lot. Um, uh, spent a lot of time outside, you know, whether that be going to the pool, hanging out outside, you know, rough and tumble in the grass or, you know, there was uh, trees to climb or, you know, we we did have the for good fortune of living around San Diego. So there was frequent trips down to the beach. Um, so you try to stay outside as much as you can. But there's just, you know, at the end of the day, there's no way to get around the fact that you're in a, you know, a, a 45 foot space and there's, you know, lots of people there. Don't kind of train. I guess that was paving the way for you to be in the uh, Marines later on. You know, when some people got to the barracks and found out all that they had was a couple of bunk beds in a small space. You know, you were like, oh, that's pretty roomy. <laughs> that's awesome. all the space I need. <laughs> well, you were uh, you were homeschooled growing up. Is that I right? was. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. Bit of a long story. Um, when my brother was quite young, he uh, was born, it was called uh, strabismus, which means cross-eyed. Um, it's a medical condition where it requires multiple eye surgeries before he was a couple years old. And as a consequence of that, he had problems at a young age with depth perception. Um, so when he was in like, you know, first and second grade, um, he really couldn't read what the teacher was writing on, on the chalkboard. And they just thought that he was slow, and at the time they didn't really have the resources to um, to help him. Turns out he wasn't slow. He just, you know, depth perception. He couldn't actually read what she was writing on on the chalkboard, um, and so because of that, he was kind of falling behind. And my mom decided, you know, I'm not going to um, you wait for the school system to figure this out. I'm just going to go ahead and, and school him on on my own. And so when she did that, when she made that decision, she decided to take all of us home and said, hey, I think that you're going to have a better opportunity, um, you know, with uh, with homeschooling, kind of going at your own pace than you would necessarily will in, uh, you know, the public education system, which was a really, uh, I, I looking back now, I just think it was an incredibly courageous thing for her to do at the time. And the same thing. That sounds like one strong woman to me. She's like, well, if you guys can't do it, then I'll do it, you know, right? I mean, that's amazing. That's great. So. For me, it worked out. It was it was great. I you know allowed me to um, do schooling at my own pace. Um, you know, by the time I was a, a sophomore in high school, I was already taking college classes. So I was um, you know taking AP classes and, and able to travel wherever we wanted. If, if we uh, wanted to go and you know spend a week down at the beach doing schoolwork, we just picked up and we moved down to the you know went down to the beach. There was you know no place you had to be every day. Um, if we felt like you know taking a uh, taking a trip across the United States to, uh, you know, as a, as a you know extended field trip in order to learn more about the history of our nation or, or you know, where at whatever, um, then that was that was open to us. So it was quite an interesting experience, actually. Um, That's pretty cool. The mobile learning, you know, you can be anywhere yeah. still, uh, still getting your schooling done. Now, you mentioned taking college courses. Uh, what kind of college was it that you ended up attending? Uh, so... When I was in high school, I was just taking classes at the local like community college. Um, but afterwards, you know, when I went into a uh, four-year 
degree. I went to up to a uh, school in Santa Barbara called Westmont College. It's a liberal arts school, and uh, actually ended up majoring in political science pre-law is what I uh, walked away with. When I first went in, I was going to be majoring in physics. Um, and you know, it was a, I, I kind of had a affinity for math and I enjoyed the subject, but when it came down to it, I actually had, uh, more passion for, uh, politics and political theory than I did, um, for just math. So I ended up kind of transitioning about halfway through and I really enjoyed the classes there. I, uh, one thing that just sticks with me and why, why I'm so, uh, appreciative of where I went to school, um, they used what's, what's called the Socratic method of teaching. Um, and especially in the higher level classes where it's not just, you know, sitting and listening to the professor lecture for a couple hours and then taking a, a test and seeing if you can regurgitate, regurgitate everything that's in your short term memory system. Uh, the Socratic method of teaching is especially in the higher level classes where there was like a relatively small student to teacher ratio was you read like whatever your assigned chapter is during the week. And then normally you'll write something, so you'll have an essay that's that's due. So now you're reading and writing, generating your own thoughts based on a prompt that was given to you by the professor. And then you go into class, and what you do in class, you generally sit in a circle, and the teaching is driven by questions. So it's a dialogue between you, the rest of the students, and the professor. It encourages you not just to learn what to think, but to learn how to think how to think, how to express yourself, how to write, how to be able to communicate effectively, how to be able to deal with disagreements and how, how to process through, um, you know, having a, a, a sophisticated discussion with this, with your professor who no matter what stance you take is probably going to play the devil's advocate just to push back on you, just to see if you can defend your position. And so, you know, it, it's so different from what I've seen in a lot of kind of the way that uh, academia and academics is kind of trending right now, where it's you go in, you get a grade. And it's more or less, you know, a lot of these uh, universities that more or less become, you know, production mills for degrees, where they're just printing degrees and giving them, you know, there was the opposite of that, and which gave me a, a real passion and a love for learning. Yeah, that sounds awesome. What a great way to foster learning. You know, it shouldn't be about just memorizing things, but about how to think it through. You know, that that's awesome. It was in college when you were thinking things through that you became interested in the Marines, right? Wasn't that during that college? Was, yeah, so what? Uh, yeah. They, uh, I was in, I was on my way to the dining hall one day and I actually came across a couple of uh, Marine Corps um, recruiters and they, you know, I kind of picked up on the pamphlets. I hadn't really thought about it in great deal. Um, ended up diving in, giving them a phone call, just learning a little bit more about the program and ended up signing up to go into uh, what's called OCS, Officer Candidate School. It's like the officer version of boot camp over the summer uh, between my sophomore and junior years. It was a 10-week program where you go and you basically get assessed out in the woods of Quantico as to whether or not you have what it takes to be a Marine Corps officer. And, you know, it, this was the time when I was in school when the Iraq war was still a very big deal. Um, as well as, you know, Afghanistan was kind of winding up as well. And so those were the topics of conversation that were going on, especially, like I said, I was in, you know, political science classes. So it was very top of mind for me. And, 
I just really had a passion and desire to do my part, figure out how I could contribute to making the, the situation better um, rather than just, you know, being another fly on the wall or just uh, just another useless voice giving my opinion. But rather, I wanted to see what I could do to actually help. And so, you know, what I found in training is I found a group of people that really lived the values that I had been brought up to believe in. You know, the, the Marine Corps values, honor, courage, commitment. They're not just niceties that you see on the wall. You know, I, I, what I saw in the um, Marine Corps drill instructors um, and everybody in that environment was that this, these, you know, virtues are really stamped on their heart and that they lived them out every day. And, I, you know, it was tough. It was grueling, the training was. But at the end of the day, I walk away from it and I'm like, I think I'm a better person after training than I was going into training. Like, without doubt, I'm more confident in who I am and I'm more proud of who I am. And I know that I can overcome things that I didn't think I could overcome because I just got been through something that was very hard. And, I, you know, there's no um, obligation once you finish OCS as an officer to then go on to further on training. You can say, you know, I'm done. Um, and so I had two years in college to think about it. But at the end of the day, I just said, you know, this seems like a place that I should be for at least, you know, for at least five years is what I ended up spending in the Marines. And I was so attracted to the lifestyle that I saw there and dedication and, and the determination um, that, yeah, that's what I decided to do coming out of college. You know, you you mentioned overcoming and you mentioned that you were out in Quantico and it was to see if you had what it takes to be a Marine. What were some of those things you had to overcome during those 10 weeks to see if you had what it took to then go on and do the rest of your five years? Well, the first thing you have to overcome is your own um, um, disbelief in yourself is the first thing you have to overcome. I remember that I remember specifically I flew into the airport and I was picked up and you're on this like very large old school bus that's driving you from from the airport out to the training facility in Quantico. And you're just driving through miles and miles and miles of forest. And it was the first time that it like really settled on me that, you know, I'm out here alone without any of my family or my friends or anything that I used that's like familiar to me, you know, that I used to know it's all gone. And the way that they structure the training is that it's, it's 10 weeks long. After the first three weeks, if you want to quit, they let you quit. They're not going to force you to stay there. Um, and in fact, they often encourage you to quit because they're trying to see if you will. And, you know, they want to push you. They want to see that only the people that are really dedicated are going to be the ones that stay there. So I remember on that bus ride out there thinking to myself, um, I'm not going to quit. You know, I'm in a sound state of mind right now. And so I'm going to make the decision before I ever get there that I'm taking quitting off the table. That's just that's just what I'm doing. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to make it. You know, they might end up looking at me and saying, listen, you did your best, you know, but sorry, you just don't have what it takes. You know, come back later. Or, you know, maybe I'll get injured. Maybe they'll send me home. I don't know. But, and I, and I was okay with that. It's, if that's what happened, I was okay with that. But I was not okay with saying that I quit. So what I did straight up front was saying, I'm not going to, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to stick it out through training. And so that was the first obstacle, I think, was just, you know, making that decision in yourself. 
that no matter what comes up, you're going to stick it through and you're going to see it out to the end. Of course, uh, from there, there's a host of things that you that you overcome in training. Um, you know, you you definitely pushed to your limits um, on multiple occasions, whether that be you know lack of sleep, whether that be you know um, not getting quite the food that you would like, or um, yeah, having to deal with the elements. Uh, I remember the first time I was um, so as you're in, um, getting into training, you have to run in order to be admitted. You have to run what's called a PFT, a physical fitness test. And this is a you know they basically want to make sure you're fit enough in order to be able to go into training and to be able to do it effectively, right? So it's a three mile run. Um, uh, you want to do twenty pull ups. Um, that's the max score, you know, so they have pull-ups, they have a run and they have crunches. Uh, so it'd be 20 pull-ups, um, uh, a hundred crunch, 20 pull-ups, a hundred crunches and three miles in under 18 minutes would be a perfect score. Now, if you do anything less than that, then they take points, points away. Um, but I remember during that initial PFT, it was out is during the summer in, uh, in Virginia. So it was quite hot. And I saw, uh, somebody get heat stroke the first day I was out there and start like stumbling around and and i don't know if you've ever seen somebody with heat stroke but it's quite uh intense you can definitely tell and so that is you know and i saw it actually multiple times in training i lost count of the amount of times i saw people um get some version of heat stroke um and so you definitely have a very you know high appreciation for um the elements and for heat um and for what that can do to you so which is a few things, you know, then you, then you have to overcome, you know, the, uh, the trainings that you go through the, uh, the, uh, the learning, you know, you gotta learn a whole new way of life. You gotta learn how to follow orders and stop thinking, you know, all the time and, and, and challenging, um, people who, who you may not understand why they're asking you to do something, but there is a reason behind it. So you just, but you have to like set your ego aside and just learn to go through the training, go through the motions. There's a host of things. It's just a completely new way of, of living that you have to adopt. Really good. You know, I said to a friend of mine the other day, we were just talking, I, I work out at 3 a.m. three days a week, and um, it's because I need to find time in my busy schedule, my workouts in. And some people say, you know, that must be hard, you know, working out at 3 a.m. And I said, well, if I do hard things, my life is easier. You know, right? <laughs> like, you know, because right. you're, you have right. that you can pull from, right? You know, if you, right. don't, you can endure and if you can take putting off the table, uh, that's what's preparing you for, you know, making other things more doable, more possible. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, after that, you must have uh, probably led into some of your deployments, right? Um, did you have any deployments or can you I did. Yeah. So after about two years in training, I did do um, two deployments. Uh, the first one was a year-long deployment deployment to Afghanistan, and so went out there with uh, the Fifth Marine Regiment, and I was part of the uh, intelligence team that was out there, and so did a, a variety of jobs uh, in that role, um, serving as targeting officer, and then also um, making trips down to the battalion level uh, to um, basically. Uh, work with the uh, intelligence units and the platoon commanders at that level to see what's going on in the battle space. It was our job to um, get an idea of what's going on in our battle space. Uh, what are what are all the units seeing? What are all of our intelligence sources telling us? And then being able to put together a coherent picture to then communicate that uh, to the regimental commander commander and recommend courses of action. 
based on the overriding mission for while we were there. And one of the chief missions that we had while we were there was it was actually during the troop uh, drawdown. So we were trying to reduce our presence in the area while at the same time maintaining the level of security that had already been established. So we were trying to hand um, like authority over to the Afghan security forces that had been trained for several years and to get them to the point where, where they could then uh, handle security on their own terms. So that, that was our primary job while we, while we were leaving. Yeah, doing more with less, uh, transitioning leadership. Uh, what were some of the lessons that you got while you were in the military and on these deployments like that? There's a couple. Well, I mean, what this book that you mentioned at the very beginning, Reawakening the Warrior Spirit, is basically full of uh, the lessons that I learned um, when I was in the Marines. And those lessons that I'm trying to communicate uh, to really the next generation of warriors and, you know, in, in order to help them to become the warriors in their own lives. That's what the whole book is about. Uh, just a couple of lessons off the top of my head. I learned that um, people are far stronger and more capable of overcoming challenges in their life than we normally think we are. So when you think you've reached the end of your rope, you're really only about 70% of the way there. So you're a lot stronger than you initially think you are. And a lot of people don't understand that. They're never told that. They're never like encouraged by anyone saying you can do it if you put your mind to it if you really dig down deep within yourself you have it within yourself in order to do more than you ever think you could so that's that's one reason why you push yourself that's the reason why like you said you do hard things is then you realize this barrier that i had in my mind of how far i thought i could push myself it was just a loser i can actually push myself so much farther than i originally thought i could and i'm a better person because of it and so you just expand your field of potential as you get rid of these these mind blocks that were there only in your minds, but you can actually accomplish so much more than you think that you can. So that was one of the key lessons I took away. Uh, the other one that's drilled into you repeatedly when you're in the Marines is that it's not just about you, it's also about the team. This is a camaraderie mentality um, that it's, you know, you have responsibility for yourself, yes, but it's really a service-oriented mentality that you're there for your team and that, you know, if you could be the best, um, uh, you know, you could have the best physical fitness scores, you could be the best marksman, you could be the smartest person out there, but if you are only interested in yourself and you're not focused on your team, they don't want you in the Marines. Yeah, very good. And, you know, they don't want you in most businesses either, right? That's right. <laughs> they don't want you in most most sports teams, but one of the important lessons, and that, it makes me wonder, I have two questions and I'm not sure which one you want to answer first, but these are important lessons uh, that you were able to uh, get as a young man and and they're, they're important to be shared. So I want to know why you wrote the book and who your target audience is. Who, who do you hope most reads the book? Why did I write the book? The book initially um, came out in a process and it was actually during COVID that this book was birthed uh, or at least the idea was and I you know we can all remember back COVID and things how crazy things were and um, I just remember with everything swirling around all the frustration all the the fear all the the um, confusion that I would go to bed at night and I often couldn't sleep 
And the only way I could find to actually get myself to sleep uh, was that I would get out a pen and a paper, a notebook, and I would just write out everything that was on my head. I would just like gush it all over the page. And it might just be uh, a paragraph or it could be several pages long. And those were my first like thoughts that I'd put on paper in a long time. And then after I got them out of my head and they were on the piece of paper, I could actually sleep because I didn't have to think about them anymore. I just knew that they were out of my head. And if I wanted to, I could pick them up in the morning and read what I'd written down, but I didn't hit think about it anymore. And what ended up happening was um, my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, she picked up some of the ramblings and she read through it and she said, this is actually really good. Um, have you ever thought about putting any of this into a book? And so I said, you know, at first, my first, first thought was, no, I don't know. I don't think I can write a book, but eventually um, I thought about it enough. I'm like, okay, well, maybe, maybe I can do this. Um, so, you know, I started out with a pretty, pretty simple observation. I think a lot of people have had, um, and it just related to kind of the, the ideals that I had been, that I'd grown up with and that I had been given in the Marines, you know, the, the ideals that we all take for granted, or a lot of us take for granted is like what makes up a, a good, strong, honorable, self-reliant man or woman, um, is that those virtues didn't seem to be the same virtues that were being, you know, regarded very favorably in society anymore. It seemed that there'd been like this reversal, you know, like tales of heroism are replaced by these stories of victimhood. Um, you know, lessons and overcoming hardship are being replaced by like these theories of, of systemic oppression that we all hear about. Um, instead of young people asking, what can I give? What can I contribute? They're asking what they should demand from others. Uh, we all hear these things, you know, uh, you know, language is violence. Silence is vi also violence. I don't know how that works out. Language and silence are both violence. So that's kind of weird. Um, you know, power is oppression. Uh, just like these really weird ideas. It just seemed like everything been turned upside down. And, and so I wanted to understand it. So I started writing about it. I started reading about it. I, I tried to figure out like these things that just didn't, um, didn't seem to make any sense with what I had learned in the Marines and with what I, like the values I'd grown up with, you know, where are these ideas coming from and how are we supposed to understand them? So that's why I wrote the book because I was actually trying to answer these questions for myself. Um, the people that I hope uh, read the book Anybody who, like me, has been confused, who looks around, you know, society nowadays and just says, what the heck is going on? It seems like everything is backwards compared to what I used to believe or what I grew up with. Um, and so if, if you're in that boat, specifically if you're, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old, I, th I think that that was the age range I had in my head when I was writing it. Um, I'm also, you know, I've also worked as a college professor. So I think it's just that age range that particularly, um, you know, appeals to me, um, as like that next generation of warriors that are growing up and that I'm trying to pour into. So if that sounds like, like you, and you're listening to this, like that was my, uh, my ideal, uh, reader as I was writing. Really good. Tell us about that title. What does the title mean to you? Re reawakening the warrior within. Yeah, so reawakening the warrior spirit, and then the subtitle is exploring what it means to be a warrior in the modern West. And I chose that word "exploring" very purposefully. Um, this book is—it's an exploration. I, you know, I'm gonna—I am going to discuss 
the primary virtues that I believe make up the warrior mentality. So I talk about the service leader mentality. I talk about um, how to live your life full of truth and honesty. I talk about how to embrace a life full of strength and power. And I talk about fortitude. Those are the primary virtues that I think are key to the warrior mentality and that are under particular attack in our modern society. So those are what I talk about. And it's an open question. Like, what does it mean to be a warrior in our modern multicultural society? In the past, you know, in our tribal past, being a warrior meant that you're going to fight with a bow and arrow and you're going to go out and you're going to attack anybody who doesn't look like you or doesn't sound like you or who you think might uh, might pose a threat to your tribe. But that's not what it means to be a warrior in our modern 20, 21st century, right? So this is an exploration through that. Um, and what it, what I mean by reawakening the warrior spirit, you know, I start the book with a, an analysis of um, the story that we've all heard, St. George and the Dragon. Mm-hmm. You're familiar with the tale, St. George goes out to fight a dragon that is uh, had has been terrorizing a city uh, the drag the the people in the city have been feeding the dragon uh, sheep or cattle um, in order to keep it satiated and then when they ran out of cattle they ended up giving it maidens in the city um, and until they finally got to the king's daughter so now the dragon has the king's daughter and Saint George goes out to fight the terrible beasts rather than hiding away in the city or uh, you know, sacrificing what is most uh, most pure and uh, most celebrated, which in this case is symbolized by the uh, king's daughter. Instead of just sacrificing that for his own safety, he goes out to confront the beast that is terrorizing the city, which is really what every hero is supposed to do, and is able to slay the monster, and then as a consequence of that is deemed worthy of becoming the successor king. And... So within that story, I just, you know, anybody who reads the book will know I kind of piece that apart. And I say that there's a number of um, mythological figures uh, or archetypes that are discussed within that story. You know, the the idea of the visionary, uh, the idea of the explorer, um, the idea of the king. But the one that seems to be particularly missing in our modern society, this is the argument that I make, is the warrior mentality. The idea that we can go out and confront those dragons that face us um, and to do so honorably and with courage. And so that's why I discuss that um, that spirit in this book, because I think that's one of the spirits that is most particularly missing in our modern society. Yeah, and I, the symbolism of the king's daughter, mm-hmm. virtue, I mean, that that must speak to you as well, you know, because we are, if we're not, awakening that warrior spirit what are we sacrificing yeah well how many young men nowadays are you know hiding away in their mom and dad's basement playing video games endlessly sacrificing their careers um their future and all of their marriage prospects i.e the king's daughter to yeah very good yeah you know uh, there's a, a quote uh, by T.S. Eliot, and it says that, you know, this idea of exploring says we shall not cease from exploring, but at the end of our exploring will be to arrive at that place where we first began and to know it for mm-hmm. the first time. And the idea there, I think, is you've gone on a journey from a young man uh, led by, it sounds like an amazing mother, 
uh, and then into the Marines. And in this exploring, I think that you've uncovered this uh, true self within, you know, and you understand the the virtues that exist within that self. And and would you say that this book is a as a call to other people to to wake up and find that same thing? Or uh, absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah, I say in the in the I think it's the introduction of the book. I said this book's a call to arms. Of course, not physical arms, but it means get up and do something. Do something with your life. Do something hard. Find the mission and the purpose in your life. And people have asked me, well, okay, you say define purpose. So what is purpose? You know, what is the purpose? What is my purpose? And my answer is, well, I can't tell you what your purpose is because your purpose is going to be a little bit different from mine, you know, obviously, because we all have different uh, missions in, in, that we're supposed to accomplish in our lives. But what I can do is I can tell you what are the virtues and the qualities you're going to need to develop in your life in order to live out your purpose? Maybe I can give you some guidance there. So I can tell you that if you live a life full of service, if you learn how to make your yes a yes and your no a no, if you learn how to embrace a life full of strength and power, if you kind of walk some of the journey that I walked, then you can start to, to realize what that uh, purpose is in your own life. Now, in your book, there's a there's a title in one of the earlier sections uh, of your book, uh, the modern day Ronin. Um, yeah. What did you mean by that? Are you familiar with the term Ronin? I uh, no, I'm not. I have to admit. So, as I was uh, reading and, and studying uh, through the different warrior tra traditions that have existed in the world uh, when writing this book. I was doing the research and I came across the, the, Jap the Japanese samurai, some of the most feared warriors and some of the most respected warriors in history. And the samurai were trained to, uh, they were trained as samurai from the age of five. They were trained to fight. They were trained in martial arts. Uh, they were trained in military strategy. They were trained in history. And they were also trained to obey their master with absolute honor and loyalty. All right. And so that was the purpose of their lives, to dedicate it to whoever their master was. Now, the term Ronin referred to a samurai who had, you know, through accident or through some unfortunate incident, had lost his master. His master died, meaning that the samurai no longer had any purpose in life. Now, in the samurai language, the word Ronin is written with the characters for floating and man. So it was a floating man or like a person adrift without purpose, without direction in their life. And consequently, because they didn't have any purpose, because they didn't have any direction, they had all this training and all this potential, but they had nothing to use it for. Um, they often got into trouble. They would, um, you know, uh, any warlord that raised the battle flag, they would flock and go and join them. Uh, or they would get into thievery or banditry, or sometimes they would... Um, disconnect entirely from society. The most severe disconnection, of course, being suicide. Many of them would commit suicide because they couldn't bear to live the life of a Ronin. And as I was reading through that story, it just struck me because I understood after I got out of the military myself, I also felt a shadow of that same kind of disillusionment and that same floating man syndrome where I didn't know what to do with my life. You know, I'd been a Marine, that had been my identity. And I, and I knew what my mission was every time I woke, every day I woke up. Now I had to figure it out for myself. So I, I, the first thing I realized when I read about the Ronin was like, hey, 
I understand a little bit about that. And the next thing I noticed was that I looked around and I realized that's the floating man syndrome describes pretty well a lot of the people that I see in society nowadays, especially the younger generation. You know, they just seem to be kind of floating and drifting without any purpose, without any direction. So I think it's, you know, even though we certainly aren't encumbered with the same, you know, cultural limitations as the ancient samurai, I don't think that the uh, effect, the the psychological effect of being a ronin is unique to the, the samurai warrior culture. I think that's something that people are experiencing nowadays as the warrior spirit has either gone to sleep or left or, you know, we seem to have lost it, that a lot of people are experiencing that same kind of floating man syndrome. And so that's why I address it. That's the problem I'm trying to solve in the book. All right. You, yeah, you mentioned uh, that the Western culture is currently experiencing a culture war. Is that what we're talking about or is this something deeper that you mean by that? That's exactly what I mean. It, and I, I spoke about it earlier. It's just like a lot of the values that seem to epitomize the idea of the strong, honorable person uh, seem to just been flipped on their head to where now, um, you know, we're instead of honoring the creators as um, as one uh, brilliant academic put it, we're suing the creators and honoring the complainers. And that just seems to be the way things are going nowadays. It seems like things have been swept, uh, like flipped upside down. Um, and I think at the very core of it, the very core of it is that we have different ideas in our society of what it means to be a truly honorable person. And so that's what I'm trying to do in this book. It's like part of what this book is, it's a defense of the traditional warrior virtues and how they can uh, be applied in the modern in the modern culture that we all live in. You mentioned the uh, servant leader mentality. I'd love <laughs> to, I, I'm a big believer in servant leadership. I'm always uh, trying to show the way that go the way and all that kind of thing. But, uh, but you know, uh, you know, your take on it with regards to this book. Yeah. Servant leader mentality is one that's drilled into your head as an officer. So in the Marines, officers eat after only, only after all the enlisted have eaten, right? So you, the idea is constantly reinforced that you're not there to lord your authority over them or to tell them what to do. Your job is to empower your subordinates and your team in order to most effectively do their jobs. You know, the, the typical idea that I think people have in their head of a, of a military officer is somebody kind of like, you know, a general patent, you know, very loud, you know, barking orders in, in, uh, you know, in war. And most of the most effective leaders that I knew in the military never needed to raise their voice. Oh. Yeah. They didn't shout, they didn't scream. They knew how to lead by example and they knew how to lead by sacrifice. And the people who worked for them wanted to follow them. They weren't forced to follow them. They wanted to follow them. That's at the core of a servant leader mentality. It's not saying, how can you force your Marines forward ahead of you? It's how can you lead the way and look over your shoulder and say, follow me. And your Marines want to follow you no matter which direction you're telling them to go. So it's constantly asking you, how can you make yourself into the type of person that people want to follow? And that's so, that's so good. Uh, that's, you know, that's the type of, uh, a leader I hope to be, you know, every day in leadership, uh, you know, I've grown from, uh, 
a manager to a business owner to a franchisor, but it's uh, it's not about uh, my power. Uh, you know, is why you're going to follow me. You know, it's uh, it's, I mean, you want that. Uh, that's so good. And what is the impact that you hope to have on any reader's life when, with regards to whoever reads this book? What's the impact that you want to have? I hope that they find themselves encouraged, first of all. I hope that they get a little kick in the pants and realize that, hey, I can actually do a lot more than I'm currently doing. You know, here are some areas in my life where I can, you know, maybe tune up um, how I'm living my life and live a better life. So, um, you know, when, when I wrote this book, it's not like I'm wagging my finger at people telling them what to do because I put myself as one of the readers of this book as well. I'm writing the book to myself just as much as to anybody else. Um, so I hope that they find it encouraged. I also hope that it shines a little bit of light on some of the crazy things that are going on in our modern culture in such a way that they can understand it. They can learn to, to think about it and, um, in a clear headed way. And that they're like, oh, so that's what's going on. Okay. And this is how um, a warrior in the 21st century would react to some of these things that are going on. The unexamined life is not worth living. I think you have uh, created a book that's going to help us to examine our lives and see if uh, there may be a, a way that we want to adjust a few things. So, Well, I certainly hope so. Awesome. Well, thank you for authoring this book and, and thank you for uh, being so generous with your time today. If people want to get the book or if they want to connect with you more, how do they do it? My website is thewarriorjournal.com. And so they can uh, they can always find me there or sign up for my mailing list. There's also a link to buy the book uh, on the website or you can find it on Amazon. Uh, you can also find me on my Instagram, Jason M. Downing, uh, at Jason M. Downing. Jason spelled with a Y, so it's J-A-Y-S-O-N. And um, yeah, those, those are my primary uh, ways to reach me right now. All right. Anything else for our audience today? Uh, no, not, nothing burning right now. I just want to say thanks, Travis. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And it was a pleasure speaking with you today. Yeah, well, thank you for being on the show. And, and again, thank you for your service. And, and thank you for what you're doing with this book. Appreciate it. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks for listening, Overcomer Nation. Make sure if you haven't already, give us a five-star rating. Make sure that you share this and subscribe so you can see all of our future content. That's right. And if you'd like to be a guest on a future show, go to overcomers-podcast.com. If you're interested in our franchise opportunities with Journey 333, then go to www.journeyfitness333.com. And finally, if you like what you heard today and you feel like you're somebody that needs a bit more coaching, go to travisbarnes.com. Yeah! Come